Welcome back and thanks for tuning in to Oil & Gas Onshore, where I am on a relentless pursuit to bring value, unity, and information to the energy industry one conversation at a time. So sit back, relax, and remember that even this very device you're listening on requires some form of hydrocarbon. This episode is brought to you by our new sponsor for the Oil & Gas Onshore podcast. A big shout out to Technip FMC, a company who truly represents the future of the oil and gas industry. Hey everyone, look, not only do you get awesome weekly content by listening, now you've got a chance to win some serious swag brought to you by Technip FMC. Each week, one lucky listener will win a bundle of gear, which includes everything I'm about to list. Seriously, everything. An audio duffel bag, a Yeti tumbler, an executive power bank power charger, a Columbia neck gator, and a set of Ace Pods 2.0, which are the true wireless Bluetooth earbuds. All you got to do is click the link in the show notes and enter your information to win. Simple. Now go get your swag on. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm here and back in Zoom land with Mary Beth Burgess, Director of Sales and Business Development at SIFI. Not to be mistaken for sci-fi. <laughs> I made that mistake twice and she didn't correct me both times, but it's Siffy. So yeah. if anyone out there is wondering, that's how it's pronounced. <laughs> so Mary Beth, we go back a little ways. And if I remember correctly, didn't we meet at Oilcom a couple years ago? We did. As a matter of fact, we met at Oilcom and we were both attending. However, though, I reached out to you because I admired your beard. <laughs> and- yeah. I do remember I was walking and and I was actually going to get you to tell your version of the story. And I was just, you know, in my own zone doing my thing and you had stopped me. And, you know, again, very respectfully was like, Hey, I really like your beard. And then, (laughs) then we we got talking. I think you were telling me about the products and stuff that you're involved with. But anyway, I'll let you go ahead because your version is probably more detailed and better than mine. (laughs) Well, we were both attending for our professional businesses, of course, you know, yeah. being oil and gas. And, but no, I stopped you because you do, if anyone has never, if they haven't seen your beard, it really is fantastic. <laughs> and that's actually what my husband and I do on the side is we have beard care products. And so you and I started talking about that, but then it extended because we connected even on a professional level, as far as what we both do and our, our passion for the industry. And, and so and then it went from there. But, and of course, you've also been extremely supportive of, of our company, Burgess Mercantile, to support us and use our products. So yeah. thank you for that. <laughs> no problem. And, and I have to give it up to you. And, and if anyone out there, for all the gentlemen out there who have any facial hair or for the ladies who are maybe looking for a gift for their husbands. Yeah, you guys have a great product. And I was always weary. I mean, I'm the type of guy I know I don't use anything. I don't use lotion. I mean, obviously I use shampoo and toothpaste, like the necessities, but (laughs) I'm never one for like products because I just feel a lot of it, again, just personal opinion is a lot of marketing and it's just like, hey, a great way to just spend more money. But so when I grew grew up my beard, which again, I appreciate the compliment. I can't take any credit for it. It's my parents. So thanks for- Total genetics. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) I'm just a byproduct of what my parents did one night. But anyway- Yeah. So, but you know, as it grew out and I'm sure any guys out there can relate that gets to a point where it gets itchy. And if you have any bit of sensitive skin, it can get dry. And well, my, like, as it got longer, I don't know if it's because, and I never had skin issues, but like, it just got really itchy and almost dry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you came in right at the right moment. Cause there was a point where I was like, I'm almost done with this. And I was like putting like, like handfuls of, of conditioner in my beard when I would shampoo Ooh. it. And like, 
anyway, it was just obvious I wasn't doing the right thing. And right. I was like, you know what? Like, that's very interesting. And then I went to a farmer's market in the yeah. height, in the Heights. And if, for everyone in Houston, obviously knows where the Heights is a very trendy, cool, hip spot within Houston. And sure enough, you were there and you had your products. And so I was like, well, you know what? Like I'm going to use it because I needed it. And yeah, I've been a like believer ever since. And the shampoo, like the little bar of soap thing is so awesome. It's, oh, thank you. And everything that you talk about, you're like, yeah, you don't need much because it'll suds up. Well, I use oh, it yeah. every day in the shower, but I will say this, you guys build your stuff to last because those little bars of soap last me like eight months. And so yeah. <laughs> me, while I don't buy products very often, whenever I need products, I do buy them. So Oh, thank you. Yeah, this is and then the oil, of course, and like this different scents and stuff like that. And don't worry, this is not a this is not a commercial for <laughs> for just mercantile. Are, are, it's, we, are we focusing on men's grooming today? <laughs> yeah, we, well, I think it's important because I don't ever talk about that. And so while you know this, I'm having you on for other purposes. I just of I course. wanted to highlight that because it's great and I give respect to entrepreneurs who have great products and who are in it for the right reasons. And you and your husband are just very stand-up people who I really appreciate. And so, yeah, great product. We'll put the link in the show notes if any gentleman out there. And the, and the price is right. I mean, yeah. I mean, I've gotten stuff. And we have you know, women's care too. I actually use the product as well. Yeah. So well, holy smokes, expanded. there it is. So it's yeah. not just for the men, it's also for the ladies. There so. you go. Well, no, it's a great product. So I encourage anyone out there, even if you're curious, just to check out the third link. So anyway, back to oil and gas. But before we get going, I do want to highlight some fascinating technology provided by our sponsor, Technip FMC. Their new and integrated iComplete ecosystem is digitally enabled and delivers great efficiency benefits by dramatically reducing components and connections while simultaneously providing real-time data to operators about the well-pad operations. Technip FMC is continuing to push the limits in order to achieve full frack automation. To discover more about the benefits of iComplete, click the link in the show notes or check them out on the link provided in the show notes, which I just said twice. Anyway, sorry. It's an early morning. I'm still haven't drank all my coffee. And then two, for all the listeners, I've got a ton of downloads, but not nearly as many downloads per week as I have reviews. So please, please, please take a few minutes to leave a review, even if it's just one sentence, or even if you don't have time, you just click the five stars, four stars, three, two, one, whatever it is. I appreciate honest feedback as well. That would be greatly appreciated. Your support is always welcome. Anyway, Mary Beth. Back to the story. So before we get going, I do want to talk a little bit about where you're from. I, I know we've had several conversations, but I'm I'm really not sure if we've ever talked about, you know, the the Mary Beth before getting into oil and gas. So why don't you start off by telling telling like where are you from? Yeah. So I'm a native Houstonian. What? You know, yes, I know. Born I mean, and bred. I yes. think you know what's interesting? That Can't normally tell doesn't by my happen. <laughs> I would not be able to, but the, I had some gentlemen on a while back from Next Gen Oil Tools, and both of them are, I think, Houstonians or close to it. But anyway, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I just, I'm meeting more and more people that are born in Houston or from Houston and still live in Houston, which is cool. It's interesting because when you grow up here and you're born here, grow up here, you're like, okay, I'm leaving, I'm going to move, I'm going to go, you know, travel the world, which I have, but then I'm going to live somewhere else. I'm not going to live in Houston. And yeah. And it's interesting because as you get older, you're like, wow, no, I'm staying in Houston. This is, you know, really such a great diverse city, especially for industry, but then people and culture. And I like to think that nothing against Dallas, because I have a ridiculous amount of family that's in Dallas and Austin and San Antonio as well. But I like to say that we're kind of a good mix of all of the cities of 
duplexes. And so, and of course, too, location-wise, you can't beat it because you have the port and and everything. So, no, I'm actually a native Houstonian. Hmm. Where'd you grow up in Houston? I actually grew up over kind of on the northwest side. So I went to Westfield, but so I grew up kind of in the Champions area in 1960. I lived closer to Klein, but our border was that, you know, I had to go to Spring ISD Westfield. So it was a great time to grow up, especially in the early 80s. I'm not going to tell you how old I am. Well, you and said so- <laughs> 1960s and I had to quickly do math in my head. I'm like, wait, there's no oh, way. No, no, no. 1960 is the street. The street. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I caught that afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> so, but when you said, I was like, whoa, whatever, no, yeah, you definitely no, need no. to use your products if that's the case. Yes. But no, I, I'm familiar with the area. I've driven mm-hmm. around quite a bit, actually. So yeah, so I've, you know, I'm from here and my family actually has a, a very rich history within oil and gas on my father's side. So, you know, with, with my grandfather being retired Exxon executive and then even branching out with my uncle and doing exploration and drilling. And so, and then of course, growing up in Houston, you know, everyone has a connection, you know, to energy, to the industry. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. you don't have to necessarily study it because it's so ingrained in the culture, especially because the majority of, of my friends and their parents, you know, all worked, you know, or work, continue to work in the industry. And so it's something that, and it affects us, you know, as far as like oil prices and job security and everything. And so it's not something that is just, it's passing in our lives. It is a part of our lives. So yeah. I originally didn't actually start out in this industry, but because of my experience with my family and them also owning land and drilling as well, you know, I grew up in it. <laughs> and where, so, where, where was that? In Luling and Lockhart. So Caldwell Ooh. County, specifically, my family actually founded Caldwell County. And what? yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. <laughs> That's a history lesson. So wait. And uh-huh. for those who aren't familiar with Caldwell County, where where is that in relation to like some bigger cities or towns or sure. So it's if you know where 183 is going up in the hill country, going out towards Austin. So Cobble County is, if you're going off 10 and if you're going westbound, it's right after Gonzalez County. And so it's also a part of San Marcos. You have a lot of people that are moving out there that live and work in Austin and San Marcos area just because of the proximity. It's originally, you know, originally a very rich oil community and, and natural gas. It still is actually for natural gas. You can't miss it because whenever you drive in, that's the first thing that you smell is the natural gas. <laughs> right. Yes. The sweet smell of money. Yes. Yes. Either that or you think that someone's passed wind in your car. So yeah. that is true. That yeah. is very true. So that's where on my father's side they're from. And so, you know, I grew up understanding as far as the the principles of drilling and and how you have to respect the land, you know, putting back into it, taking care of it, but then also utilizing its resources to survive. Yes. No. And that, see, that's so interesting. And someone who's, like you said, is you grew up there and you were, you know, got to see firsthand what it was like and probably, you know, like you said, really taking care of the land and seeing the the efforts and even just the mindset going into reclamation. And mm-hmm. cause I think there's a lot of misconception out there. It's like, you know, you, you drill and you, you know, you tear up the land and you just pump oil out of the ground and everyone's, you know, around there is making money and everyone's fat and happy, but it's a lot different than that. And like you said, you're using a resource that's within your land and to survive. I mean, it's, you know, 
life as we know it today wouldn't be without natural resources such as, you know, fossil fuels and especially oil and gas. So growing up, I mean, did you always have an interest in the energy industry or because a lot of people are either like, I want to be just like dad or I want to be just like mom or I don't want anything to do with this. My parents are never around. I'm moving to California or wherever and I'm not doing this whole energy thing. So right. what did that what did that look like for you growing up? It's interesting because I, I definitely did pull away from it. And growing up also, too, you have to understand that, especially for, for my age group or our age group, Going into engineering and going into those fields, it necessarily wasn't pushed upon women, especially young girls, to study that. Yeah. And so, and which is unfortunate, but it's changed and it's changing right now, especially with STEM programs, which are fantastic. So, what I actually did was I utilized kind of more of my creative talents. That's why, you know, I worked initially more on the sales and marketing side of, of technology, which is really, you know, my passion. And so, which is, of course, where I'm at now. And so I focused more on that, but, you know, I'm a a creature of education. I'm always learning, always reading, absorbing material. And so even though I wasn't necessarily studying it or working in it, it's something that I've always kept up with. And especially having so many family members that are on different sides and different, you know, within like upstream, midstream, downstream of, you know, energy. It's something that, you know, I've, I've still studied. So, you know, my background is actually, <laughs> it's funny. I'm really, a, I'm, a, I'm a sales and marketing person. I'm that creative right brainer, but I do still have very much of that left brain analytical side, which uh, is a good mix. Yes. So, double whammy. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes confusing, but I work it out. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can identify a little bit. I, it's funny because my background in, in like graduate school or undergrad is engineering which I'm not great at engineering. I'm more like a people person, sales, business development. And I, you know, I don't like to do accounting, but I like accounting within business and financials. And then, you know, I'm very much an Excel person, but yeah, it's weird. I I have this internal conflict all the time. And so anyway, I can, I can relate, but at the end of the day, I have a certain passion, which is definitely not technical or engineering, although I do have a good understanding and I'm, and somewhat efficient and good at it. So anyway, yeah, I just thought I'd throw that out there because I'm in grad school right now and we're taking a class that has thermodynamics and a bunch of other engineering concepts. And it's definitely hard for me to go back into that mode. I'd rather be podcasting and sailing and being involved with other things, but I digress. I'll I'll let you go ahead. I completely cut you off. (laughs) And it's, it's interesting because with my background in technology, I actually, for quite some time, I was on the I was actually in community supervision in technology. So very different field from where I'm in now. I actually worked with a company and they created the electronic monitoring, alcohol monitoring devices. And so I worked from federal down to local agencies. And so that's actually where kind of wrapping into the e-learning side and education, which I'm in now, that's where that all began. And so, and especially too, if you can, if you can master and if you can, you know, nothing against government employees, but if you can, if you can successfully train and implement programs on a government level, then you will have no problem <laughs> doing that <laughs> in any other sector. So, okay. Well, I think that's an interesting point, though. And it kind of comes back to dealing with people 
and you know something that you're obviously very good at so like why would you just why would you make that differentiation between you know training government employees or you know or making that sort of connection with them versus in the private sector i mean can you describe right. that because i've never worked in the government i've always right worked in there's a lot more there's a lot more red tape you have you know especially with going into looking at as far as kind of how they implement things, you know, there's a lot more of, there's a lot more people that are involved. And I would say that it's, it's just, you have to definitely kind of go through those steps, unfortunately, because everyone, there's a lot of, I hate to say this redundancy. Yeah. I <laughs> and so that. it's kind of a big buzzword, especially, you know, in that in government is redundancy because then of course it has to go through every level of each person to touch it. And so that's kind of what I enjoy too about, you know, working in the private sector is that, you know, you can just go straight to the source. You can get things done a lot quicker and easier. And so, so that's actually, you know, working with SIFI, that's what I've been doing for the past three years and focusing more on energy manufacturing and education through the use of emerging technologies. Wow. And that's, I mean, I think right now it's, it's always important, but I think even more so now with technology, considering the challenge that we've, you know, the globe has had over the last year, it's ever more important. And I, and I think the amount of energy and emphasis needs to get put on it and just the, the you know, allocation of resources to put into learning and, you know, figuring out how to change, how we share information, how we learn, what that looks like, flipping it on its head. And, and so, I mean, that's obviously going to be the juice of our conversation today. And so, for you, I mean, from your perspective, what's happened to the industry on how it's basically how people have, how have we changed on how people learn some of the challenges and really just training, you know, say pre-COVID or even pre-technology days to where we're at now? I mean, can you describe the transition and what you've observed? Yeah, that's a great question. It really has drastically changed. And even, you know, before starting with pre-technology, everything was hard copy. Everything was in person. You had ILTs, which are instructor-led trainings. And there was a lot of time and effort put into things, which is great. However, though, it was very time-consuming. It's also, you know, not necessarily the most cost-efficient way, you know, to provide that. But at the time, again, we didn't have the technology that we have now. So, because if you think about you know, things like with virtual reality or even something like what we're doing with, you know, Zoom, you know, this has only been within the past couple of years. And so, yeah, and so you have to think about, you know, that and looking at that as far as where we've come from. And so, but now though, looking at as far as pre-COVID, we've really had to step it up because I mean, I know for a fact that Zoom market shares have just, you know, quadrupled, if anything, because people are are relying more on this rather than just using it as, you know, a function that they would do for offsite meetings, you know, or, or global meetings. Now it's like, it's just a necessity. And so you have to, you have to be able to adapt and adopt. I like to say. Mm, great point. So definitely adapting to the change into the situations that you're put in, especially with restraints, such as, you know, we have right now, but then adopting new technologies and looking at, okay, so how is this going to affect our bottom line? What is this going to do to improve it? But then also, what is it going to do to help our employees? Because at the end of the, end of the day, that human capital is so important. 
And I think companies now are really also starting to look at, you know, investing more in that because they don't want the turnover rate because it's it's expensive. It's you know. Yeah. No. I mean, people are are our biggest cost driver, right? And so it's an interesting point you made about you know adapting and adopting. We've essentially been forced to adopt technology yes. and things like <laughs> video conferencing because there was no other way. But I mean, how do you see this going? You know, forward, assuming you know, let's let's be extremely optimistic here and say, okay, the vaccines roll out, everything's good, we get back to normal. I mean, do companies like Zoom and all that, does that tool slowly fade away for us because we're such, I mean, humans are people. Right, we need connection. We need the human connection. We yeah. need that interaction. We need the face-to-face. Some people rather it. Some people would rather sit behind their computer and work and, you know, do whatever they do all day. But I mean, especially in energy and in oil and gas specifically, most of business tough. conducted is is better doing it in person. And so do you see a lot of these tools and even things like webinars you know, are we going to get back to these big conferences where everyone joins up and we've got booths and everything? Where do you see that going? I mean, is that, and, and, and then we can touch on the educational piece, obviously, but just again, high level from that perspective, what are your thoughts? Well, I will tell you that I've been to probably about five different virtual conferences this past year. And I definitely miss the connection. I miss meeting people people like how we met at Oilcom. I've made some great connections in person at these conferences. And where I see it going though is, is that it's not, I don't think that this is going to fade away or stop. I think what's going to happen is that we will transition slowly back into face-to-face, you know, person-to-person conferences and communication. But organizers are also seeing the benefit of a virtual event because then they can actually reach further And they would if it was just for local individuals, you know, for instance, looking at something like OTC, where this is massive, huge, and people come from all over the world to attend, you know, going into a virtual space on that, it's, it's ideal and it's smart because you can still share the same knowledge. You can still share the same community and in connections, but in a safe environment, but then also too, you're not researching individuals that may have concerns due to, you know, their countries not necessarily, you know, having the the easiest way of, of, of traveling, you know, in and out of. And so I think that, you know, I don't think this is going away at all, like as far as the the virtual conferencing and everything, but I do think that we'll eventually kind of slowly transition back into, you know, being able to do these in-person events. And so you know, I'm optimistic. That's kind of my thing. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I think it's, again, it's a tool that we have to leverage. Right. And I think like you described it, it's the ability to scale virtually and their ROI is probably a lot higher. I mean, I know for, you know, the company I work with, it would be nothing for us to drop six or $7,000 on a booth, but what's the ROI on that. And while it's important because yeah, our competitors are there and it gives us a chance to, you know, mingle with amongst the folks in our ecosystem, you know, you look at it, just the data and it's like, was it worth spending that kind of money? I mean, could have we held a happy hour at the best bar in Houston and probably got the same benefit perhaps. So I think it's interesting that the cost of entry for a lot of this stuff is far less than what it would be, you know, attending these big conferences. But if somehow you can integrate both of them or, you know, have the ability to do both. And, you know, one thing I can appreciate is not having to tear down the booth and set it up. This, right you know, you. logging in is certainly easier, yeah. <laughs> but I just think we have to consider because it's all about trade-offs. And so if you're not meeting in person, you're not getting that human interaction, 
even traveling, seeing people in there, like there's just, you can't really foresee the impact good, bad, or indifferent, but it changes the dynamic and it changes the trajectory on how we essentially conduct business. Yeah. I don't think things will be as quick as they would with a handshake and, you know, how normally we would have, you know, a handshake agreement, you know, to move forward on something for sure. I definitely agree that as far as like the life of an opportunity or even kind of moving forward on something, you have to rethink how you're working that. And so, but that's also to go a part of the experience, because one thing I can tell you that with like a virtual conference, you know, if the company does it right, you can actually have it be extremely rich in content and to where that experience is going to be impactful and profounding and profound. So it really just depends on how you utilize it and what you're doing to take advantage of having those people in front of a computer or using a wearable. That's another thing too. You've got so many now, so many new technologies used in these virtual conferences such as you know augmented reality so yeah and that's actually another topic i was it's been on the tip of my tongue but i didn't want to close off this conversation but yeah let's actually take a pivot and talk about technology driven learning that's another huge part of it i know you've mentioned before like things like virtual reality i mean i know again at the company that i work with we are in the process of filming different facilities to where then the ultimate vision is such that you know you go into a client's office And if they're not comfortable of traveling to Midland or coming to our Houston lab or traveling to Pennsylvania, we can say, Hey, check this out, put these, you know, put the goggles on or, or whatever it looks like whenever we're finished to be able to, to take a virtual tour of our facilities, our lab, you know, walk you through different, you know, processes or walk you through different, you know, here's how we met. Here's, you know, would you like to take a tour of how we blend a certain product or take a look at this? And, And I think that is fascinating. And so, how does that stuff come in as being successful as a successful piece of the industry? And and what are you seeing on? Cause I mean, I know that's something that that's what we do. Dear too, to yeah. Heart. yeah. <laughs> that's what Siffy does. So yeah, it's, it's interesting that you say that because, and I love the fact that more companies are, you know, adopting that too, because of course, naturally, and, and this is energy is really kind of is showing up now to the dance, you know, when it comes to, yeah. <laughs> We may have starched jeans and cowboy boots on, but we're (laughs) we're getting there. You know, in relation to, you know, these technologies, you know, you've got other, you know, like with pharma and and technology that have have been at the dance for a little bit, but energy is now kind of slowly getting there and getting out on the dance floor and getting comfortable, which is good. (laughs) I love love analogies, by the way, just in case you don't know. I love it. (laughs) So it's interesting that you bring that up because... I'm really excited to see that more of that is happening because especially like you said, giving the opportunity of of a client, a prospective client or a vendor, anyone really in all honesty, that view and that in-depth dive into your business practice is really important. And and so it's I look at, you know, as far as technology and e-learning, it's not just for the internal purposes, it's also external. And because you're there also to educate your customer as well as your employees. And so everyone is a learner. Everyone is a learner. And so, you know, utilizing things like, you know, the VR, virtual reality and augmented reality are really just so imperative, especially to since people can't necessarily travel, but then also to making sure that they fully understand and have you know, just a a full view of the impact of what they're experiencing. And so 
I think that, you know, headsets are definitely becoming more commonplace now. I mean, I don't think that anyone, you know, especially if you look at something like, you know, an Oculus, which you can easily get on Amazon for probably about 250 Yeah. Something, and and that's really kind of what I'd like to say is, you know, the starter experience, you know, for VR and AR. Then you get into other devices like the Quest, and then you also have haptic gloves, which talking about kind of your lab work and viewing the lab as far as, you know, how things are, are processed and made, you can actually even go a step further and give that person the opportunity to create something by using haptic gloves. So they actually pick something up and physically pour, mix, move. They wow. have this, yes, they have this sensation. It's actually something that we created and we won Brandon Hall award for in training was we created a lab scenario where using haptic gloves and using virtual reality that the user, the participant goes in and mixes and is also graded on how they mix the chemicals, what they're, you know, the percentage as far as what they're doing. And it's a step-by-step guide. So it's a training tool, but then it's also, of course, too very informative. And it's, again, it's it's about taking, a lot of it really is just about re- eliminating risk. Yep. That's another thing that's huge in, in our industry is trying to eliminate risk. And these wearables and this technology just drastically reduce that because they're not in that situation or in that position in being completely green, <laughs> and, you yeah, know, yeah. and putting themselves, you know, or the company at risk for a lawsuit or health or damage, you know, and so you can give them those experiences in a safe environment. And also too, even just looking as far as the skill set, hard skills and soft skills, there's so much that it covers. And I think that that's something that companies are now starting to invest in because they see the value. They see that this is something for, from a retention standpoint on their employees, because of course, employees are looking at, you know, what is this company provided or what are they investing in to be forward thinking? But then also, what is this company doing to remain ahead of the curve and and relevant? So, Mm. yeah, no, that's so true. And I mean, like, I would imagine a lot of the larger companies who are in positions to use like allocate a bunch of resources to training and because a lot of the, I mean, let's be honest, the big companies, great. They'll spend a lot of money, train their of people, course. invest. I mean, if that's part of the benefits of working for large corporations, the smaller, mid, small to mid-sized companies, they're all about lean. I mean, pinching pennies because they have to, a lot of times they're still starting up, still, you know, trying to get their, you know, feet on the ground financially. Yeah. I mean, how did they stay competitive with a lot of these new incentives and techniques in a learning environment? Because that, I could see that being extremely challenging. And while it's cool, mm-hmm. you know, because then does that push them out of the market because they're not staying? Not at all. Day? Okay, then, yeah. How would you, yeah. can you speak on that? Sure. So there's quite a few mid-sized companies that we're even working with right now. One specifically that's going to be utilizing artificial intelligence. It's not something that is out of reach for any company. I think that, you know, of course, too, you're... You need to have your CIO and your CFO on the same page, naturally. <laughs> so yeah. it's really, it's an all-in buy. You have to have your engineering group. It's something that the entire company needs to be behind to see the value of it. But it's not also unattainable, which is a beautiful thing because it used to be where even just maybe within a, a range of about two to three years ago, that yes, it was something that you had to have a pretty spectacular budget to obtain. However, because companies such as SIFI 
have such a strong and robust development team that we're able to create these, you know, and, and help implement these programs for companies, but without completely wrecking their budget. And, and that's also something too, whenever you're looking at a company to work with, you need to make sure that at least you have a ballpark figure, you know, a range, because I understand that this is something that's also very new within the industry. So a lot of people aren't really necessarily going to know what number to throw out because it's new. They've never used, you know, artificial intelligence or digital twins, anything like that within their company. And so you have to look at what you're comfortable with. But in having that communication with, you know, with the vendor that's creating this with you, it's definitely attainable. and. You know, just as the small to mid-sized companies are running lean, a lot of your technologies are also the same. Technology companies that focus on content creation are the same way. Right. Because ultimately what our focus is, is passing on, you know, outstanding product to the customer, but in creating that relationship to where they'll come back and we'll have future projects together. But then also to making sure that we stay within their budget. So then they don't feel like this is something that's, that doesn't have a return on investment. Yes. I mean, you touched on so many great points there. And, and, and I think there's just, there's room for everybody to play ball in this arena and, you know, some at a larger scale than others. But again, I think it's companies need to figure out how to keep up with the times. And I mean, and again, it comes down to, you know, acquiring talent. And so, if mm-hmm. you know, folks that are either graduating or looking for a career change, they're going to look at companies that are, you know, keeping up with technology and, have these types of systems in place. So in order, it's not only to stay competitive in the marketplace, it's to stay competitive to acquire talent and, mm-hmm. and seek out, you know, opportunities for folks that are, you know, entering the, the business or entering the field to, to, to keep up with. And so again, just, just more importance as to why it's, you know, necessary to have these things in place. So how would you say for companies that have legacy systems? Because I mean, especially in oil and gas, I mean, I've experienced it in my career. It's like, oh, yeah, no, that sounds great, but comma, you know, <laughs> cost. We, we already have this. Why don't we just patch it together, add a little oh. more duct tape to it? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's so yeah. common. And because, and, and especially in a volatile market that we're in, yes. it's like, yes. okay, do we just limp along? Mm-hmm. We're, we're doing okay. Let's spend X and we'll make it work. Or do we spend Y and everyone has to take a pay cut, but the potential upside could be great. Assuming oil stays at $53 a barrel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know what I you mean? Know, it's interesting because we're in an industry that revolves around risk and yet what they're willing to put that risk towards sometimes, I think it needs to be reevaluated. And so, yeah. you know, it's kind of like, I wish that people would start to you know, speculate on the education and the value of their employees. And, you know, as far as how you're doing that out in the field, why don't we also do that internally and looking at, you know, what's that, what's that going to look like, you know, because again, this industry is is secular. So you have, you have to be able to ride the wave, right? Yeah. And and to, and to ride it out because you're going to have your highs and lows. We all know that. So with legacy systems, though, I think that you have to look at, you definitely have to look at modernization because that's also going to be an obstacle that's also going to require, and it's going to have where requirements are not going to be met. So it's a very dangerous game to play 
And especially if you're looking at, if you have a system in place that you're, you're considering kind of doing a, a patchwork, if you will, anyone knows that on the back end, as far as when it comes to technology, you don't want to do that because it's very volatile. It's, it's a huge gamble because you can also, especially too, as far as how systems are updating and you've got, you know, other programs such as, for instance, like Saba and older versions of programs that are not compatible with newer versions. And so you have to look at, okay, I can only do this for so long before I put our company at risk of all of that information, you know, being gone because I patched it together for so long. I would say though that, you know, I, and I definitely understand from a fiscal standpoint, you know, looking at this as far as an investment, because it is, but then also too, you need to look at, okay, what is that return on investment? What is this also going to help me accomplish? There's so many different things, you know, that you have to consider in this and it's definitely an investment, but you have to take that risk. You really do. Otherwise you're going to be left behind. And that's the last thing that, you know, an organization wants is to be considered antiquated. Yeah, no, exactly. It's again, summing it up, you have to keep up with the times, whatever that looks like. I mean, you don't have to adopt the latest and greatest Ferrari technology, but you got to be moving in that direction. When it comes to, you know, just different generations, you know, within oil and gas, we're starting, I mean, I say starting, we've been seeing a lot of the seasoned generation hanging up. I like that, seasoned. (laughs) Right. Seasoned generation either being forced to hang it up or saying, I've made my money in oil and gas or energy, and it's time for me to let these young bucks take over. But there's still a lot that that are hanging around. And, and oh, a lot. We, we need them. I mean, yeah. we, we need the experience. We need the mentorship. We need that knowledge base. Exactly. <laughs> and so for folks that, you know, maybe assume that they know it all and mm-hmm. they don't need a lot of this young, hip technology coming into their, their space, is it stuff like this applicable for all ages and types of learners? Because like you said, everyone needs to be learning. If you're not learning, you're dying. And exactly. I mean, maybe that's a harsh way of saying it, but that's kind of nope. in my mind. It's like, you know, I, I look at my parents and my mom who's still around and she's constantly learning, but she's so vibrant because her, her hunger for knowledge and, and things like that are just, I mean, it, it just keeps her mind sharp, right? And so if you're not learning, you're becoming stagnant. And as we age and, you know, become, you know, just as we get older, it can really put a hindrance on our cognitive function. So how does this apply to, to that generation? I mean, and even on the younger side, I mean, right. you know, can you kind of describe how that sort of ties together? Sure. So it's a great point that you bring up to, especially about our seasoned employees that are looking at either the option of retirement or possibly even a career change because of, you know, changes within the industry and, you know, the reduction of workforce, especially in different and certain you know, functionalities, because they're streamlining a lot more now. So that's where, and this is really just a great point, because that's where companies actually, in in a lot of your larger organizations, I think have a responsibility as far as, because these people have definitely put in their lives, they've invested, you know, so much of not only their personal time, but then their family time too, in their career. It's definitely a, you know, they've put blood in, if you will. And so, yeah, 100%. You know, so I think that that's where, you know, 
organizations that are large companies actually need to look at what are we doing to help this workforce transition? How are we also helping them upskill and move into a new role? What are we doing to empower them to where they don't feel like they are going to be left behind or it's like, okay, you've put your time in. Thank you. Goodbye. Here's your, you know, here's your money. And so, because again, and also too, this is another thing that I think a lot of people don't understand. This is one of the last, this is definitely one of the last groups of individuals that actually worked from the ground up in this industry where you started out, when you came out of college, you started out in in a lower position and you worked your way up. It didn't matter if you had a master's, you know, I look at my, my grandfather came out of, you know, A&M and went out to Falfurius in the middle of nowhere, South Texas to work at the Exxon camps, Mm. you know, a highly educated man, but took his wife and his two twin sons out into, you know, South Texas to go work at the Exxon camps. And so that's where you have that knowledge base. You have all of this rich information that needs to be captured. And so I think that that's where it's kind of a twofold thing. I think they definitely need to look at investing to make sure that, you know, if they're wanting to continue their career, that they're able to still participate and be an active part of that community. But then also too, we also need to look at retaining that information because you have your younger generations that are not going to learn the same way in that hands-on experience that a lot of, you know, a lot of your older generations have. And it also comes down to because a change of change of requirements, a change of, you know, especially with things like OSHA and, and other restrictions that come into place where you are not necessarily allowed or have the availability to go out and do something that you would normally do before. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, no, and that- then also too, they're kind of scaling back on a lot of that stuff out there too. So, you know, I think that as far as getting back to your question though, as far as those learners and in, in absorbing that information and not everyone learns the same. So you definitely have to, you have to make it interactive. You have to look at what's going to, of course, absorb the best and be most effective, you know? Yeah, no, that's so true. So if you had a crystal ball and, and to kind of see into the future or, you know, look around the corner, what, what is the next sort of the five years look like? Or, I mean, you know, because obviously technology is going at such a rapid pace. I mean, what, even mm-hmm. tomorrow, what does that look like? Because obviously we're going through just serious change. And so I'm curious, just being that you're immersed in this industry and in sort of that field of things, you know, what, what the future looks like. Because I, I just really can't even begin to imagine like five years ago, even where we're at today. And so I'm yeah. curious. <laughs> we have so much more that's that's going to come about though, because it's almost kind of like, I like to think of it as, you know, how our phones are constantly updating, but then also too, it's like you have, you know, what was like the newest iPhone a month or two later is now, (laughs) you know, an older model. And so it's of course being open. You have to be open to these changes and educate yourself, but then also to ask questions I think that, you know, AI is definitely being utilized. Artificial intelligence is being utilized so much more now as far as like through predictive analysis. And this is something that's even used not only in the office and or in the corporate headquarters, but also out in the field. You know, I like to think, and it's also used as a helpful tool, like especially through digital adoption platforms, which, you know, basically are learning the user's behavior 
which is, you know, for some people, they're like, what? You know, this is, (laughs) it's actually like tracking my keystrokes or what I do, but it's doing that to make suggestions also to, to better improve your experience and, and how you learn and to also help overall learning proficiency and efficiencies as well. And in reducing errors, that's another thing too, is this is technology is definitely come to a point where it's helping us eliminate a lot of that, or at least reduce the risk and the errors that are happening out in the field, you know, out at a refinery, even in the the office in a control room, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that in the future, it's limitless, really, in all honesty, because at this point, if you would have asked me 10 years ago, you know, if I would have ever thought that we are where we're now, I may have, but there's so much more that I think that we've accomplished. And so I definitely know that, you know, there's a lot more automation that's going to come, especially out, you know, in the out on rigs and with deep water technology. Mm-hmm. So that's something that's very exciting too. And, and I do hope that more companies understand that this is, it's not meant to be a hindrance or eliminate the workforce. It's actually meant to help the workforce because we're not trying to replace people. That's another thing is, you know, we're not trying to replace people at all. We're actually wanting them to, to have a better understanding and knowledge of the applications and what they're doing and what their function is to have a deeper understanding by using technology. Yes. Yeah, no, that's, and that's true. And I think that's maybe part of the concern or at least fear that some people have is, you know, it's cool to have all this stuff. And I think with training, it's kind of a separate topic, but just all of, like you're talking about automation and, you know, having, you know, I mean, even, you know, instructors for lack of a better like, I mean, if you could do something virtual and automated where you're say, you know, going through different series of, I mean, I, I see in the future, let's say it's, you know, kind of a robot-esque training system where you're not actually being... Yeah. So like, instead of me sitting here and doing a four hour course on whatever, you know, it's, it's kind of automated and and you do it on your own time. And I mean, even that could potentially change and and we have to pivot and somehow adopt how we learn and, and how we do, you know, courses and training. I mean, I know a lot of the training, like you said, it used to be in person and now it's, you know, you click through videos and it's this automated person, you know, essentially like a robot talking to you and, I mean, we do it at our company for different for safety training. Mm-hmm. Whereas back in the day when I was doing, you know, getting different certificates and things like that for, you know, because I used to work on drilling rigs, it was, you know, you, you go to the campus and then right. you know, there's 15 or 20 guys <laughs> or girls sitting in there. This gentleman or lady would talk about H2S for three or four hours for a few days. And then, you know, but now you could probably, I'm sure they've automated that or somehow made it virtual to where you just go on your computer, you learn about it, you answer, you know, do your test and away you go, you know, and certainly there's, there's value of being in person. If you say like it's a CBR course, Mm -hmm. safety, stuff like that, learning how to do. So, I mean, I don't know how you would do that virtually, but again, it's about time and money and efficiency. And so it's interesting to see where this will all, all head, but it's, it's, the intent is good. And I think if the more you resist it, the more you're falling behind. And so it's cool to talk to someone like yourself who's on the front line and, and you know, making this stuff happen and, and seeing what the future holds. So with that said, kind of asking them more on the personal level, you know, because you're obviously passionate about the subject matter, but what do you like most about your job? That's a great question. I've 
rarely get asked that too. First off, I love meeting new people. I'm such a, I'm a people person and making those connections are just, it's one of my favorite things, but then also to helping solve problems, being a solution provider and definitely putting, connecting people to what their needs are and finding those solutions. I think that that's really it, you know? That's fantastic. You know, and whenever, and whenever I can help, you know, a company and organization to also accomplish, you know, what their needs are, but then also learn something new and have those aha moments that, yes. you know, kind of just, it's neat. It's something that I, it's an endorphin. So <laughs> good. I mean, serving others is the most rewarding and gratifying thing we can do. And so helping others, you know, and whether that's connecting them to the right people or connecting them to, to solutions. I'm with you there. I think it's amazing. One other question I have is, and we talked a little bit about the products that you and your husband, the business that you guys have with Mm -hmm. that, but what's something else about yourself that not many people know about any good hidden secrets or any interesting hobbies (laughs) or anything else that you, you know, maybe people can relate to you on? Oh gosh. Let's see. I would say, yeah, something that a lot of people don't know is that I used to do, (laughs) I actually used to travel and do long form improv with. So for quite a number of years, I used to travel and do shows in New York and Chicago and Austin. And so, yeah, so I'm no way. Yeah. So, and I've got a lot of stories and photos that will remain locked of people that are one story. very, on. that are very well known. Okay. What's one that you can at least share or even, or give me an example of what that looks like. Yeah, impersonate someone, do something exciting to close <laughs> us out. Let's go. I can't do an impersonation, but I can tell you a story. So the first time that I met, you know who Jason Sudeikis is? I don't. I'm ah, okay. Have you seen, oh my goodness. I have to, I'm trying, I'm drawing a blank because it's so early and I've, I'm only on the first cup of coffee. Okay. <laughs> so he was on SNL. He's also married to Olivia Wilde. Oh, I think I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's starting to come together. Yep. Okay. So he's in the movies with Jason Bateman and Jennifer Aniston. And so (laughs) he's actually a very well-known improviser on the back end. That's actually how he started. But he is, yeah. So I'm trying to think of what that last movie that he was in. But anyways, so he actually, he's a very, he's a good basketball player. And yeah, so the first time that I met him, actually, he had just come from a game and this was in New York. And so we were at Upright Citizens Brigade, which is UCB is a very well-known theater company that Amy Poehler actually started with a group of friends. And so I got like the first time I met him, though, he had was we were introduced from a mutual friend of ours that they grew up together. And he actually ended up, I actually ended up kind of falling when he tried to give me a hug because he had just smelled so bad. And so oh, no. <laughs> no, but, that's hilarious. And, and, you know, but as far as like stories from being on the road and, and stuff like that, it was just, it was a great time, you know, especially when you're in your twenties to do that and experience that. No and, kidding. Yeah. So so, to, like improv. And I mean, so what does that look like? Like explain. Yeah. So when you go, you, you go to a theater and then you impersonate people. Is that what that is? No. So actually you, you're basically creating scenes that are completely unscripted. Oh, so, right, right, yeah. right, 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 right. So yeah. I, I was form, getting, con- yeah. 
Yeah. So long form was actually was really kind of founded and created by Del Close, who is out of Chicago. He's he's passed. He actually was the one that taught and fostered people like Mike Myers, Chris Farley, you know, a lot of your improv giants. And also like he also created Second City. So that was Del Close. And yeah. And so like Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd and stuff like that, too. So Gilda Radner. And so improv, though, is basically just it's a collection of unscripted scenes that you have that all kind of like they'll basically like you'll get a scenario right and then yeah. you have to act it out you'll just... get a suggestion and then you build all these different scenes that in the end they're all connected i like to say that it's an unscripted quentin tarantino film i would love to truly do that <laughs> i i feel like i would be awesome at it you would actually i think you would be really good at it too because you you're very quick-witted. You have to be able to think on your feet. And yeah, like my daughter will like randomly be like, "Dad, tell me a story," and I'll I'll tell her like the most like crazy story. She'll be like, "Where did you hear that?" I'm like, "I don't know." Like it just came to me. <laughs> it's like basically like freestyle acting, right? Pretty much, yeah, yeah. It's unscripted. It's improvised. Oh, I, I would. Oh, I want to do that. <laughs> you know, I'll I'll send you I'll send you some links for friends of mine that actually do that locally here in, in Houston. Yes. So that's yeah. So can like can you be just like drop in and try it or like how does that work? Well they have like they have classes, but then also too sometimes in some areas or some places they will have, you know, kind of open nights. But the whole thing is is that the whole premise of improv is is that in a very popular phrase is yes and because there's no denying a person in a scene. So right. they could say something completely off the wall, but you have to it, you know you have to you play have along. To accept it, yes, and then and then move forward <laughs> and continue with that. So I would but, love to yeah. try that. <laughs> so yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's something that yeah, I haven't done in a couple of years just because I got so wrapped up in business and creating another business. And so but it's yeah, that's something that a lot of people do not know about me. And okay. yeah, they don't know how much time that I spent in traveling and doing shows and stuff like that. So wow, good for you. That is so cool. Well, look, we're getting close to time here. I want to respect your time. And of course, we all have things to do. But before I before we log off, I want to take a moment to tell everyone about some upcoming OGGN events. Hey, everybody, it's Savannah from OGGN. And here are the events on deck for March 2021. This month, we only have three events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. First up, we have our two in-person events, our OGGN Here and Now live event on March 4th at Churrasco's in the Memorial area of Houston, Texas, and the Texas Wildcatters Open at Black Horse Golf Club in Cypress, Texas. Next up, we have our three online events, Sarah Week from March 1st to 5th, Transformathon from March 1st to 7th, and the TAMU SBE Career Enhancement event on March 26th. Other than these events, OGGN may be hosting some more live streams this month, so make sure to check out our Facebook, LinkedIn, or our website for more information about any of the live streams we have coming up. If you have any questions about the events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for March. I hope you guys have a great month and thanks for tuning in. Awesome. Thank you. And anyone out there in the Houston area interested in playing oil field hockey, come join the Hack and Wet crew for some old timer hockey. We do it every two weeks at Memorial City Mall Ice Rink. Hit me up on LinkedIn for more details. Mary Beth, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. We've had some great conversation. The improv thing has just got me psyched. <laughs> but if people are interested to hear more about what SIFI offers, 
the services or just to learn more about that type of stuff, where can they reach out to you? I'm assuming LinkedIn would be good. Yeah, LinkedIn, Mary Beth Burgess. Mary Beth is all one word. Yep. And I'll send you the link for my LinkedIn, but then also to already got they it. Can, oh, awesome. Perfect. Yeah. They can they can also connect with us at sifieelearning.com. We're not only a content creator and provider, but I like to say that we're a multiple services organization that Basically, if a company has, you know, something that they're wanting to accomplish that we, you know, put them in touch and and create those solutions. Awesome. I love it. Well, keep doing what you're doing and I'm sure we'll be in touch. But with everyone out there, always remember when the density is up and the gas is down, open the choke. Let's go to town. Thanks, everybody. Thanks again for listening. Tune in next week for another episode of Oil & Gas Onshore, a production of Oil & Gas Global Network. For more information, visit OGGN.com.